I'm David, your host. This is episode 6 of the Eternal Medicine podcast miniseries. This is part 1 of a two-part series. This show is made in association with the Adventist Medical Evangelism Network, or AMEN, an organization for all medical professionals that will support you in integrating your faith into your medical field practice. Membership benefits include a subscription to the Medical Evangelist, a journal about the spiritual aspects of medical work. You can visit www.amensda.org, A-M-E-N-S-D-A dot O-R-G, to join and find more resources. In this episode and the next one, I will be talking with Laura Vetter, an occupational therapist, Dr. Chris Stewart, a physical therapist, and Dr. Julia Hollister, a speech therapist. I am especially excited about this two-part special because I am an occupational therapist. We will be discussing ways in which we and any medical professional can better meet the spiritual needs of the patients and clients we serve. We will also discuss ways therapists in particular can help our patients better engage in spiritual and religious activities. Like every previous episode, this one has great information for all medical professionals, not just therapists. Because there are four of us, our conversation went a bit longer than usual, so I decided to split it up into two episodes. I hope you enjoy this interview. All right, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm honored to have each of you here. And let's go ahead and begin with introductions. I'll start, let's start with Laura. I'm Laura Vetter. I'm an occupational therapist. Um, I have my master's degree from Loma Linda University. Um, I have been working about 17 years in the field. I have a variety of experience. My passion is pediatrics. Um, I, so I've worked, um, in a, in a, with adults and, all different ages, um, but currently I'm in pediatrics and um, an occupational therapist. Pretty much, it's going to help someone um, to do whatever is important to them, from bathing, dressing, cooking meals, um, and kids being able to play effectively, meet their milestones, and perform in school. Um, so, a simple breakdown. Okay, great. And then our other two uh, people or guests are calling in. So uh, let's ne- go next to Julia. Yes, I'm Julia Hollister, and I'm working as a speech-language pathologist. I've been an SLP for over 15 years now. Speech-language pathologists, we work with people who have a variety of different communication disorders and swallowing disorders. Um, so maybe that would be working with children in the school district with language and speech needs or working in hospitals with stroke patients or working in private clinics. I have a PhD in speech and hearing sciences and I specifically specialize in the area of stuttering. And I've been a faculty member at Loma Linda University School of Allied Health Professions for about six years now. And I teach undergraduate, graduate and doctoral level classes and also supervise them clinical. Excellent. And lastly, Chris. My name is Chris 
for Stuart, and thank you, David, for this opportunity. I've been working in the profession for going on 22 years now, beginning in my original role as a PTA and then went back to PT school, graduated with my doctor of physical therapy in 2007. I've worked in pretty much every setting that's out there. I've worked in acute care, in the hospital setting. I've worked in, you know, your local clinics that you see, even up to owning my own business. But God has led me to the point where I am now, where I'm a professor at Southern Adventist University and also the director of our physical therapist assistant program here that is just achieved accreditation and going into our third group of students. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was so new. And physical therapy, what we do as a profession is we help individuals achieve function and movement competency. We help them be able to access their environments, you know, get in and out of their homes. How do they get in and out of their cars? How do they access the stores? How do they access their bathrooms? Those type of things. Okay, great. Thank you for those excellent introductions. And we'll just go ahead and jump right into the questions. Uh, question number one I have here is, uh, do you feel that the therapy professions generally consider or address the spiritual and religious needs of our patients? So, David, when you mentioned having a discussion about spirituality and religion, this is in connection with the role, say, of, of our, our therapy professions. I did a quick review of the literature, and through this review, I learned that there is actually not a lot of evidence out there, or a lot of discussion going on around this topic. Hmm. However, this does not mean that spirituality is not important to a patient's recovery. So, you know, as I look at the individuals that I work with, many of us as rehab professionals, we believe in meeting a patient's needs holistically. Oh. That means supporting the mind, body, and spirit connection. However, when we get into practice, a lot of us, we treat the functional aspect, you know, through whatever exercise we have them do. We treat the mental concepts of, you know, processing, mental processing, and cueing, those kind of things. But a lot of us do shy away from the spiritual aspect, hmm. and um, a lot of us don't really know what to do with it. But I came across one definition of spirituality, actually from the Occupational Therapy Association, that I believe is kind of pertinent to this discussion. And that definition is the fundamental orientation of a person's life, Yeah, that which inspires and motivates that individual. That's what they define as spirituality. So we can look at a person's ethics, their values, you know, their religious beliefs, all that can be thrown into one conglomerate of spirituality. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think, um, this is Laura, and I, I think in the OT world, that especially since I went to Loma Linda University that obviously has a religious background, that they did an excellent job of teaching us to incorporate that spiritual aspect of a person into um, our treatment. Um, we actually had specific classes that would address that. Really? Um, yeah, and I I think that um, as as I have progressed in in my field, um, I think that it's something like when I first looked at these questions, I thought, oh, I don't know if I address that, and I thought I address it so much that it's interwoven. I think in how how I do treatment with my clients. Wow. Maybe not blatant like what's your religion and your belief set, 
But when you look at spirituality, kind of like Chris was talking about, that what's important to you and what makes you tick, I yes. think that I was trained to really look at that. Okay. Julia, how about you? Yeah, I can add some things to that and uh, echo what Chris said initially, that if you look at the literature and you look at how speech mythology has been done traditionally, spirituality has been considered this, this other realm that people don't want to get into when when they're treating a patient. They're, if you look at interviews that have been done with um, allied health professionals, PTs, OTs, and speech professionals, you'll get people saying, that's not my scope of practice. That's not my area. I don't know what to do in that area. I, I don't know if I might do more harm than good. But if you look at where our disciplines are going now as uh, a, a country as a community, there's so much focus on on whole person care, right? Patient-centered goals, wholeness, and I love that um, several people have commented that if you're not doing whole person care, you're not being patient-centered, if you're not addressing spirituality or, or person's religious background, because it's just tokenistic. You're, you're not doing a holistic therapy, it's tokenistic therapy, if you're not including that spiritual component. So, um, yes, I, I think that some places, as Laura mentioned, that Yoma Munda uh, has started to be more mindful about how do we do focus on the things that give an individual their spiritual purpose, whether that's uh, meaning and purpose in life and and um, within that umbrella is their religious um, convictions as well. Excellent. You know, I I kind of assumed that the religious schools would focus on it more, but I and I went to um, Southern Adventist University for my undergraduate, so I got some of those spiritual-related classes for my generals, but then I went to state school for my uh, master's degree, and I was actually surprised that my, my professors at the state university still brought up this topic because it is something that OTs are aware of that needs to be addressed. And, you know, we're, they taught us that our goal is to help our patients get back to engaging in those meaningful daily activities, which does include spiritual and religious activities. Yeah, and I did want to say that OT is really blazing the way in okay. terms of our three disciplines. <laughs> but it's still something that our three disciplines have in common, a goal that we yeah. all share. Well, I think, I mean, we'll get into this probably more later, but I think that, like Julie was saying, if we're really going to affect the outcome of our patients in a meaningful way, we have to find out what makes them tick and what, what provides meaning to their life because that is what's going to motivate them to get better ultimately. Yeah, and especially we have to consider that, you know, when they are newly in a hospital or another facility, their life is suddenly out of balance. And uh -huh. it's, it's our job to help them get back into balance. And that definitely includes every aspect of their lives. 
Mm-hmm. Well, some something I've noticed here recently, just in my time in the clinic, is how now that we are, you know, in the COVID season or post-COVID, however somebody wants to define it, a lot more individuals are more open to their spiritual side. A lot of people are looking more towards what does this mean, you know, where's the world as a whole going and. I'm finding a lot of those conversations are actually a little easier to have with patients now that things are kind of in upheaval. Yeah, I, I think there's something about uh, illness or the threat of illness and, and a reminder of our mortality that makes us more open to having those discussions, maybe. All right. Well, let's move on to question two. So if our goal is patient-centered care as therapists, how do we go about learning the spiritual needs and desires of our patients in the clinical setting? Go ahead, Chris. So, okay, so when I'm thinking of learning what my patient's spiritual needs or what their needs are in general, it's going to involve two main aspects, and this is what we teach the students here in the PTA program, is A, you need to ask for the information. And you can ask for that information using a lot of open-ended questions, but when you want to include the spirituality realm in that, you can just ask a question as simple as, how are things now for you physically, mentally, and spiritually since X has happened? And then it's important for us to actually listen to that answer. So, a few years back, as I'm working in the home health arena, I'm just out making my regular visits, and I come up to this gentleman's house, and he and I begin a conversation. What I find in the home health setting is a lot of those patients want to make a personal connection with you in order to really feel comfortable inviting you into their home. Wow. Through the, through the conversation that we had, the conversation... Through our therapy session, we still did our therapy session, but it continued to evolve in a certain direction to the point that, you know, long story short, I left about two and a half hours later. And when I went to leave, when I went to leave, the gentleman told me, he said, Chris, I feel like you were here for more than just therapy because Hmm. he started asking me questions about my religious beliefs and, and he was dealing with his, um, sudden approach of of mortality that he's being confronted with. And I will tell you, David, it was amazing. God just brought scriptures to my mind, and I was just talking to this gentleman, and I was just totally blown away. But I, I, I feel like God does use us in any setting. But if we will just ask the question and then listen for the response, then we can maybe address these individuals' needs better. Excellent. I think I often address it maybe not with the word spirituality but i'll ask the person like what are your interests like so right now i'm working with kids and i'll say what do you like like as i'm learning them and they'll or as i'm learning about them and they'll they'll be like oh i really like trains or i really i watch a lot of mickey mouse you know whatever it is um because that i mean if you ask a kid what how's your spirituality it doesn't work quite the same way and so you have to get to that that meaning a little different way. And I mean, kids love, I mean, we all love talking about ourselves, especially <laughs> kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to do it in two ways in the assessment process with um, our clients. So uh, there are some really good 
spiritualities screeners out there now being published. And um, there are two of them that I find that are quite helpful and I will integrate into um, my case history questionnaires that I have parents and and, um, individuals fill out. And also when we're having our interview process, the first time we meet. And one of them is uh, one of these spiritual questionnaires uh, is the acronym HOPE. And the first uh, H from, from the HOPE acronym is what's there in your life that gives you hope, strength, comfort, or peace? Okay. And that's a, a lovely open question that will let the individual just, just draw on the things that are meaningful to them. Uh, and um, you can understand part of that, that meaningfulness that Laura was talking about uh, that we will want to, to work into our therapy approach. And then some other questions that um, I like to are from the psycho questionnaire, um, which is, do you have any spiritual beliefs that help you come? Do you consider yourself either spiritual or religious? And um, I, what I like about the first question, the H question, is that there are many individuals who may not have a particular faith background that are much more comfortable with something more open-ended with spirituality than they are if I ask them their denomination. Yes. And then questions such as um, support, because spirituality is all about connection, right? It's connection horizontally and connection vertically. And so looking at that vertical connection with others as well, is there a group of people that you really love who are important to you? And then how would you like me as your SLP to address your values as we work together? So intertwining those into my my questions with patients when we do our interview and I give them the form to fill out before that time. And the other thing that I find really helpful is in the evaluation process, I like to use solution-focused brief therapy scale. And Can you repeat uh, that? Familiar. Are you familiar with that? No. No, no. So um, all of basically is borrowed from psychology, and it's a line that you can draw on a piece of paper. And it's from 0 to 10, and you say, well, where are you right now? in terms of, of um, your functioning and whatever that may be. And then what are your best hopes? Where would you like to be? What are your best hopes? And they will, will tell you where they would put that best hope on that piece of paper. And then um, the follow-up questions are, well, tell me what does that look like? What would you be doing? What would other people be noticing? And I have found some some real wonderful gems asking those questions because the individual will tell you what's important to them. I will be doing this in my community. I will be um, a part of that. I will be, you. even with children, I, we do this with children as young as eight, and they will tell you the most wonderful things that you think, yes, that can directly come a part of a goal that we can work on together. And it has direct meaning and relevance to the life of that individual. And so when we're thinking about that, that definition of spirituality being the, the, the finding of meaning and purpose, you're directly tapping into what gives that individual meaning and purpose. Yeah. Can you repeat the name of the self-rating scale again? 
Yes, it's solution-focused brief therapy scale. Okay. So it's an approach used by psychology. You can buy books on Amazon that will teach you about it as well. Okay, excellent. I, I like to link these kinds of resources for the listeners uh, in my show notes, so I'll, I'll put them there. Um, I like what you said about just blatantly asking or plainly asking your patients, how can I, as a therapy professional, help address your needs, especially what spiritual needs you may have? That is something I've never thought of doing before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'll be surprised what, what people will say. There was an individual who really wanted to be able to um, read uh, the scripture reading at church again. And I would not have known that unless he told me that this was something that was important to him. Yeah, wow. Huh. Excellent points. All right. Let's go to question three. So I've been doing um, a lot of research on this topic while I've been working on this uh, podcast. And I've found one article especially talking about research that uh, shows stress can cause both mental and physical pain. Um, sometimes this is a, a missed etiology of a patient's pain because stress can come from less obvious sources like emotional or spiritual distress. Um, and in this article I read from the Physical Therapy and Rehab Journal, uh, it said therapists should be competent in providing patient consultation aimed at health behavior change. And then it included, this included exploring underlying causes of stress. So how can we assist our patients to explore their emotional and spiritual wellness in addition to their physical? And I I think um, Julia's assessments are one tool. Are there other tools that we can use to help our patients explore these areas. So I think one of the things that just sticks out to me when I read this is that I use, when you build rapport with somebody and you have that trust, um, obviously different fields. If you're in a hospital, you might see a patient one or two times. I'm seeing kids for years often. Yes. And so building that rapport with the client um, is, is how I'm going to really get to what makes what's meaningful to them and, and how I'm going to help that. And so I think that's huge. Um, I think another component of it is knowing when to refer. So I work with some kids that, that have come from abusive situations or they're in foster care, um, whatever it might be, or perhaps are currently in an abusive situation and, sure. you know, you have to pick up on stuff like that. But I think that it's important to know when to say, hey, I think this kid needs some therapy. Like, I just recently had a kid that his parents went through a divorce. The kid's behaviors escalated. Um, and the parents were kind of clueless, like, why is he doing this? And I'm like, because you've gotten a divorce, and he is really upset. I said, and he really needs therapy. And it's, Some counseling therapy. Yes, some counseling. Yeah. Correct. So being able to refer to a psychologist or 
Um, if you're in a hospital, being able to refer to the social worker if they need like some additional help in that. The other thing for me um, is that like if you think of where when you're working with kids, like I work with a lot of kids that have autism, and so their flight or fight responses are triggered a lot quicker than than typically developing kids. So they might get overwhelmed with sound or they might get overwhelmed um, with touch, whatever it might be. And so I actually have a program um, that I use with my clients. It's called the Safe and Sound Protocol, and it's through um, Unite ILS, and it's a listening program that taps into the vagus nerve and helps to decrease that flight or fight response and helps to train, helps the kids change their behavior and um, change how they can process some information from their environment so they can actually be more successful. Successful, Because, you know, if you, anything we try to do, if we're in a heightened state, it doesn't matter what we're doing, it's all going to be harder. And it, we're going to hit that flight or fight response quicker. And so to help them complete their meaningful things and get to that deeper level, um, that's often where I start with my clients, and that's a tool I, I use. Okay. Yeah, I, I can jump on to two things that Laura said. You know, the value of rapport building, And um, I find that as, you know, we speech, OT and PT are, are seen as healers of the physical. That so often uh, patients will open up with us about uh, the, the spiritual as well. Because we are someone who automatically understands their physical journey. Mm-hmm. And people want to, to further open up and say, you know, you understand this part of me. I want to share more about you know, the other parts of me as well. So you absolutely, with that rapport, will have people open up about spiritual pain. Um, that they are, are going through. And also what Laura said about knowing when to refer is, is so key as well. And I love that there has been a shift in our discipline just within the last few years. You know, we, um, back when I was a student, we were very much functioning under the medical model. Yeah. And the medical model meaning that you're broken and you're coming to see me so I can tell you what needs to be done to fix you, right? And now the World Health Organization has moved away from this medical model in terms of our, our therapy disciplines and it is embracing a, a more holistic model. But if we move away from this, I need to find out what's broken in you and fix you. It, it carries over to the spiritual realm as well and not um, finding out what's broken spiritually in somebody and wanting to fix that. Um, how I view myself instead as a healer is rather than fix the problems of the individual, I can't solve the individual spiritual problems for them or, or push them in a certain direction. That's not my role. But my role is to listen well and to understand what the individual is is um, presenting, um, reflecting questions back to them to to, to see if if that's it, it, what we actually hear is what they are actually expressing, and to be there to support the journey of finding meaning and, and finding God in all of this, 
And if we need to refer the individual to chaplain services and the individual to their um, spiritual uh, or religious uh, community, then we absolutely can do that. Yeah, I appreciate what you said about referring them back to their own um, spiritual mentors. Uh, yeah. It can be easy, I think, for us to just want to refer to the professional, but I, I find myself here recently through this pandemic encouraging my patients to lean on their own spiritual mentors and also their own informal support network, friends and family, yeah. because yeah. patients have been so isolated, uh, and that's compounded by Western society, you know, here in North America, we we are so individualistic that we don't want to admit we need help, mm-hmm. and we don't we don't want to be a burden to those around us, but those people often do want to help if we would just open up to them. And so I find myself encouraging my patients, hey, now is the time, you know, now that you're sick, this is the time to reach out to your support network. And I, yeah. I appreciate that you brought that up, Julia. Chris, yeah, do you... Absolutely. Yeah, so an anonymous person once said that the body achieves what the mind believes. And I truly feel that is true in the rehab arena. So whenever you have a patient come in, they're dealing with an injury or a new life change. Rehab, in essence, is a majority, at least from my experience, has been a majority psychological than it is physical. I have to develop a rapport, as has been said. I have to get buy-in with this patient to be able to make a change in their lives. And A lot of that goes back to what we said previously in finding what makes that person tick. So just another story. Again, we're going into our third group of students. Well, one of our students from our first group, upon right after graduation, had a severe accident that's now paralyzed from T4 down. Wow. This young man, at 23 years of age, has a whole new outlook on life now that was not there, you know, a month before. Yeah. Emotionally, spiritually, his world has been rocked. And so what we have done as a profession, as a department, and I think we all need to do as humans, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's a patient, is to rally around these people and give a ton of emotional support. I do believe that, you know, it's important for us to be openly transparent about our beliefs, I feel the more I'm transparent and, I mean, just say something as simple as, well, I'll be praying for you or something like that tends to encourage that patient to open up a little more on their spiritual journey or what their spiritual beliefs are at that moment. And then I do agree that, you know, there are times we do need to refer. I mean, we can, we can do as much as we can, but we would be doing our patients a disservice if I tried to do something that was not in my realm of expertise. Sure. I think, though, that you all pointed out some very good things that we can do, which are excellent. What about motivational interviewing? One of my coworkers was telling me about this recently, and I, I wasn't very familiar, but are you all familiar 
Mm-mm. Yes, I love motivational interviewing. Can you share with us shortly, uh, Julia, what that is? Yeah, sure. So um, it's finding out what's important to the person. And um, through the motivational interviewing process here, it's undergoing um, questions that um, are open-ended, that you are talking with the person without judgment. And um, you are finding out what their reasons for change are. You're not imposing your reasons for change onto the person. You are eliciting from them why it is important for them to undergo that change. And uh, it's not that you cannot suggest anything. You could say, well, um, other clients that I have had have, have found this helpful. Would you mind if I share a little bit about this approach, for example? So it's not completely laying um, the therapy decisions in the patient's court, but what it is, it is valuing them as a partner. You're not the one telling them the solutions. You're the one drawing the solutions out of them. Okay. That For the OTs out there, that sounds very akin to the COPM the Canadian Occupational Performance performance Measure, measure, yeah. That's something I need to do more um, learning on. I I like that approach. All right, let's go on to question four. Um, Are there other ways we can use our traditional treatment techniques and clinical expertise to address the spiritual needs of our patients? Uh, let's start with Laura first. Um, yeah, you know, I think my, my style is, and, and it could be just that I haven't used any formal tools, um, but my style is, again, building that rapport and just an open dialogue with the person. And when I'm working with kids, that dialogue is often with the parents and just being able to, um, to build, to find out what the kid is interested in and being able to, to build on that. So for instance, I had a mom come to me and say, we've been to another OT and my kid really likes trains and I don't know what to do. He doesn't like working with the OT. And so I, you know, I caught on like, okay, trains, trains are an interest. So literally to this day, I've worked with this kid for years. We do trains every session. Like oh, we're wow. drawing trains, we're cutting out trains, we're talking about trains. We're, but that is what has built rapport with his family. And that's yeah. why he's still working okay. with me because, um, they kept firing everybody because he wouldn't work with them because his interest and in what motivated him to participate was doing something about trains. And, um, I guess by seeing that, like we, I think we have to step back and say, my interest in trains is like none. (laughs) (laughs) And so you have to say, okay, we're going to do trains again. Um, but I mean, I think that's an element of any spirituality we're dealing with our clients is being able to step back and say, that might not be what I need, but that's what they need. And that's where they're at and being able to welcome them with where they are at at that time and and to help them grow 
into what what they want to do, what they want to meet. Absolutely. So has your interest in trains grown a little bit over the years? I've learned a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've learned things that I... I'm, oh, okay, good. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> no more. That sounds a lot like the therapeutic use of self. Mm-hmm. A concept <laughs> that my teachers uh, hashed over and over and over. But I think it's an important one. Yep. All right. Any other thoughts on question four? Um, I think the only thing to add to, to that is uh, once you you understand the values of the patients and you understand the, the background um, of our patients, we can easily intertwine in um, spiritual material into the actual therapy materials themselves. So as speech pathologist, I next several of our students this quarter with individuals where um, Christianity was important to them. They had Bible texts as part of the materials that they worked on with wow. them. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they had goals that if uh, a client wanted to be able to pray again at prayer meeting, that was a very meaningful goal that they were working on in, um, in the therapy room. Uh, I do bibliotherapy with my children, so bibliotherapy is uh, using characters in books who uh, are faced with challenges and uh, work through them in the book, and then you and the child can can um, talk about how that relates to um, what they are going through as well. You can do that either explicitly or, or implicitly in different uh, activities, extension activities back to the book. But there are several um, Christian-based books that we've used that draw strength on, uh, on God and, and on our spirituality with children who come from spiritual homes and that is very important to them. So the materials that we use can absolutely draw on, on the spiritual foundations that give our client meaning and purpose. I like that. If an individual is not um, from a religious background, but they are inspired by war, um, or, excuse me, and wonder from the natural world, I found yeah. with uh, several particular clients that just doing therapy outside, under a tree, being surrounded by nature, something that inspires them to think bigger than themselves, are really, really powerful to harness the therapy. Yeah, nature is cathartic. Chris, you had something to add? Yeah, I was just going to add that, you know, in our traditional therapy world, we interview with our patients and we set patient goals. Well, it would be very pertinent to add religious or spiritual goals, like this was alluded to before. I've had several, I've had more than one patient, I won't say several, but more than one patient that have had, say, they're a total knee patient and they have a goal to be able to kneel in church again. Mm. I mean, those individuals who have total knee replacement sometimes have a good bit of discomfort putting pressure on those knees, but that is the goal that they have. So we go through various different activities to achieve that, and that can be a goal. Something else that I think that's important, though, too, is even though we use our traditional techniques that as physical therapists we tend to be very hands-on for the most part whenever we're treating musculoskeletal type disorders, but it's important for us to be aware of the individual's spiritual or religious needs. So just for instance, say one of your patients happened to be a Muslim woman and they 
don't want to be treated by a male therapist. It's important for us to use those skills to be able to meet their needs and make them feel comfortable. So yeah. having a female treat that patient versus a male so that they, you know, feel uh, a better outcome from this session. Absolutely. All very excellent points. Hey, it's David again. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone who might also enjoy it. Next episode will be part two of this interview. Be sure to check out the resources in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep serving, keep healing, keep praying. 